hope you all are doing well. I've been sick for the better part of two weeks, and I still don't feel that great. But here we are. Um, I thought about trying to get a guest speaker today um, to get like whatever they spoke on their church this morning to ask a friend or something. But I was like, well, you're going to get leftovers no matter what, honestly. Like, you could get a stranger's leftovers, whatever he did for his church, and you could come here. Or you can have mine, whatever I have to give, which is not much. Um, Maybe it'll be just straight up loaves and fishes story where God will just multiply what I have and what I don't have uh, to do something special in your life or in our, in our church's life. Um, in the past few weeks, we've been talking about our church. I called it a vision series in my mind at some point, but it's probably too generous of a term. Um, basically, the last few weeks have been exactly what would have happened if you and I got coffee or lunch and we just talked about like how you're doing, how I'm doing, how do we think that the church is going, what's going well, what's not going well. When I think of a vision series, I think of more like a, a top-down, like here's where we are, here's where we're going to go. Um, and I don't really have that as much right now as I have some things that I just feel like I'm learning and thinking about and want to share with you. Um, if you wanted or needed a church or a pastor who knows like exactly what a church is supposed to be and exactly how to get there and lead people with them, you probably would have gone there by now and not, not been here. Any recommendations? I, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what I can say is I feel like I'm learning a lot in this season of my life um, and relaying it to you in real time. Ideally, I would have done this like 10 years ago and then like pondered it and meditated on it and sat on it and just you know, become a really wise and mature person, but that's just not the case. Um, so you'll have what I got this evening and in this season of my life. Um, have you ever been trying to answer a question? You're in a conversation with someone. Um, answer a question, explain something, explain yourself, talk about something. And when you're in the middle of this explanation, you realize, I've used too many words already. <laughs> And I'm all jumbled up, and I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Isn't it weird that you can think those thoughts when you're in the middle of saying the sentence or the paragraph or the paragraphs? Um, or you just don't feel like you know what you're saying in the, anymore or what you meant to say in the first place. Or have you ever been talking to someone, you talk for a long time, you try to explain something, and midway through, you're just like, this isn't going well. And then you finish, and you're like, does that make sense? And they politely lie and say, yeah, Totally. And then you just move on and hope that you both forget about the whole thing. Um, well, something like that has been happening uh, between me and myself in my brain. Every time I go to write one of these teachings about church, I start writing and then realize, like, I don't know exactly where this is supposed to go. And if I continue on, it's not going to be very helpful for me or for you guys. Um, and if I were to do it, I would write it out, finish it, and I'd be like, does that make sense, guys? And you would all politely lie and say, yeah, totally, great sermon. And then we'd move on and forget about it all. Another thing can happen in some conversations. Uh, sometimes you kind of catch yourself in the middle of an unclear, long-winded answer. Sometimes you have a true friend, though. When you get to the end, they're like, you know what? No, that didn't really make sense to me. Maybe you should try again. Maybe you should use less words. Maybe only say words and concepts that you understand yourself, and then it will help. And it comes out quickly to the point where you get, to, you get a, a redo, and you're like, ah, oh, here's what I meant to say. It's just, it's just this. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, this, or a version of this happens sometimes uh, in arguments that I may have or may not have with my wife. Um, 
So think about maybe this has happened to you, a spouse or a good friend or a roommate or a coworker. Something happens. Someone is salty about the thing that has happened. And so you're just kind of at each other for the whole day or like a, a number of hours. And you decide to talk about it. You're trying to do the like, mature thing and you talk about it, but it just feels like you're kind of talking in circles and you keep saying the same thing and they keep saying the same thing and you're like, this isn't helping. No one's really like giving an inch. And so you just kind of are at a stalemate. It gets complicated and convoluted. You both have used too many words. So finally, you just have the clarity to say something like, not this in particular, something like, look, it bothered me that you didn't wash the dish, okay? <laughs> not proud of it. I know it sounds petty. Maybe the problem is me, but that's, I was just mad about the thing. It's just like a small thing. I got mad about it. And you, you argue about a thing for a whole day. You talk about 100 things. You probably do more damage in that process when you could have just quickly got straight to the heart of the thing and said, this is what's bothering me. This is what's up. Last analogy before I talk about where this is going. Some of my favorite episodes of The Office, um, if I'm about to spoil some of it, you have no excuse at this point. My favorite episodes are some of the, the ones around the Michael Scott Paper Company episodes. That's about as late as I get in the series where I still love it. And uh, particularly, I love the episode where Dunder Mifflin has to buy out Michael Scott Paper Company because they had eaten into so much of their business in the Scranton area. So the CEO, David Wallace says to Michael and Ryan and Pam, in order to expedite these negotiations, we are prepared to make you a generous offer. And without blinking, Michael says, and we are prepared to reject that offer. Ryan's like, you didn't even hear the offer. And he says, Michael says, you never accept their first offer. What is your second offer? <laughs> so today, I'm going to cut straight to my second offer. <laughs> assuming you would have rejected the first one or assuming that the conversation that I've had by myself in my head for the better part of three months writing a handful of sermons that have turned into convoluted messes that you would have politely said were nice sermons but really, really wouldn't have been that helpful. I've been arguing with myself, going back and forth, and now I'm just going to try to cut to the chase and I think I've narrowed down five things that have been simmering and uh, stirring in my heart for our church. Uh, these things came out, a, a friend of mine who's a pastor, um, we were on a retreat together and he asked me earlier this year if Valley Church were successful or healthy or whatever word he used, if it was a successful, what would you see? If Valley Church was becoming what you wanted it to be, what would you see when you looked at your people and at your church? And I took several months to think about it. I wrote down far too many things. Um, got frustrated, and then it was a few weeks ago, I was uh, standing right here kind of making some notes um, and felt like I kind of had a moment of clarity to narrow down some of the things that I had been feeling and learning and thinking about our church. It wasn't like an angry moment. You guys didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> um, but here's the things that, that came out. Um, so I would not call these uh, like our vision moving forward, but just my heart for our church right now in this season. Five things that we would enjoy relationship with God, that we would enjoy relationship with one another, and that we would see those first two things as integrally related and integral to your life, that we would commit to the slow process of spiritual formation, and that we would all lead lives of quiet and invisible evangelism and good works. So like I said, I'm gonna keep those five things, I'm going to talk about them just for a little bit, and it's going to be really short and to the point, which means I may say less about each of those things than you want. Uh, I won't say more, uh, but I won't say less. I might say less than you want. You might end up with some questions, and if you have them, 
uh, just talk to me after and ask the question. Or if I don't have an answer, I'll think about it and have one later maybe, or at least a response. Um, or we can get coffee together, or you can send an email or give me a call. But I'll just say a few words about these. The first one, enjoy relationship with God. Use the words carefully, enjoy relationship with God. Um, I just finished reading for the first time, uh, I'm embarrassed to say it's the first time, but the Chronicles of Narnia. Any Narnia fans? Read them all? Great, nice. Um, So there's a scene in the second to last book, The Magician's Nephew. There's a character named Uncle Andrew. Again, if this is a spoiler for you, these books have been out for a while. Um, Uncle Andrew had been trying to gain access to another universe, another world through magic. And when he finally arrives in Narnia, He's too scared of Aslan to approach him, to talk to him. He doesn't understand that Aslan is good. Um, Aslan in the story represents Jesus, if you're unfamiliar with it. Um, doesn't understand that Aslan is good, though he may not seem safe because he is, in fact, a lion. So he, this character, is, he's frightened. He wilf, willfully chooses not to listen, not to hear the things uh, that the talking animals are saying, including Aslan. And eventually, because he keeps choosing to not hear, he's afraid, he doesn't understand that these are good creatures, that Aslan is good, um, eventually he's actually not able to hear Aslan talking at all. He just hears um, what is described in the books as growlings and roarings. So Aslan would be trying to talk to this man, but all that he can hear is lion sounds. And then Aslan says this, O Adam's sons, referring to this character and also humans in general, O Adam's sons, how cleverly you defend yourselves against all that might do you good. So one of the things that I've been learning, it's mostly related to just my life as a Jesus follower, but if I feel it this strongly, I just assume that maybe we all do to a certain extent. Um, It is incredibly hard to allow ourselves to experience the love of our Heavenly Father. Like this character, Uncle Andrew and Magician's Nephew, out of fear or ignorance, I believe that this lion was a dangerous beast. I think most of us, maybe not, maybe not all the time, but in, in seasons of our life, um, have experienced and maybe unintentionally perpetuated shame within ourselves so that we have internalized God as someone who is primarily critical, disappointed, or angry with us. And nothing could be further from the truth. It may be one of the hardest things that we ever learn to do as um, followers of Jesus, um, but we have to work. Um, It's my heart for my own life as a Jesus follower and for you to internalize um, the true and proper Heavenly Father who looks at us and sees his beloved dear children. And I think more than God wants you to like go out into the world and do something for him, he wants you to be still and to be loved and enjoy being his child. First John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And so that's the first thing that I wanna say to you, to hear from my heart is, uh, I hope that we might make progress towards letting ourselves be and feel deeply loved by our Heavenly Father. The second thing is, my heart would be that we, um, even more than we are now, maybe you have to start at all, is that we would enjoy relationship with one another. Um, My heart is simply that we would lean into the chance that we have to deeply love one another, to care for each other, 
to meet needs, each other's needs that arise in our church, that we would participate in each other's growth and each other's journey as disciples and that we would enjoy the process. I have this caricature in my mind of a, like a person or a couple involved in a church community because they think theoretically it's the right thing to do. You're supposed to be, you know, in a community. The pastor asked us to join a home group, whatever. But deep inside, they're just, they mostly like tolerate being a part of the group or do it because it seems like the right thing. But my heart for myself and for you would be that we would learn to thoroughly, truly enjoy our relationships with one another as the body of Christ. And maybe you already do. You're like, check mark, I'm done. That's great. Um, Maybe you have in the past and aren't now. Maybe that feels scary to you. Um, Or maybe you're in that season where it feels kind of like this is a a chore and something that I feel like I have to kind of commit to, but it's hard. Um, My goal is that it would be the norm in our church culture that we would not just participate in those types of uh, communities with one another, but learn to thrive in them. And the scripture that comes to mind here is Romans 12, 10, says to be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. So enjoy relationship with God, enjoy relationship with one another. And then the like sub point to these uh, is that we would see those two things as integrally related and as an integral part of your life. So what I mean by them being related is that we can't separate loving and enjoying our relationship with God from loving and enjoying one another as the family of God. What I mean is that you can't enjoy all that God has for you on your own. And you can't survive the messiness of real community without the presence and the power and the foundation of God and who he is. If you try to follow Jesus without others helping you, without others doing it with you, it will at some point fall flat. Maybe you've already experienced that in your life. Maybe you haven't yet experienced that. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't very, very important parts of following Jesus that happen when you are alone. There are. There's much of God and life as a Jesus follower to be experienced in solitude. There are things that can only be experienced um, on your own. But there is so much that can only be experienced in or is experienced better when you do so with people around you who are also following Jesus. And when I say community, I'm not referring to just like this moment where you are around people, you know, attending a church service with other people. I'm kind of thinking of a a choice and a commitment to willingly integrate your life with the lives of other people who are following Jesus through fun and good times as well as not fun and hard times. So to put it simply, following Jesus goes hand in hand with being part of a healthy family of people who are, are doing the same. Um, so that's what I mean by they're very much related, enjoying God and enjoying one another. And also, I, I hope that it would be integral to your life, not just like a thing amongst the 20 other things that you do, but like the pinnacle of your life, the most important thing. I'd love for us to get to the point where we can say that enjoying our relationship with God and our relationship with God's family through a committed church community is vital to my life. I don't know if that's how you feel right now, if it feels like a commitment or if it feels like oxygen for you. Um, Church is a thing that a lot of people do, Uh, sometimes feeling like they could take or leave it. And it's why people stop coming to church for a time or come less frequently because it becomes something that is not integral to your life. And so my heart um, is that we would do what we need to do to help that feel that important to you 
but also that you would cultivate that on your own as a Jesus follower, that you would, even when it doesn't feel that way, that you would help it to, that you would learn that it is vital to your life as a Jesus follower. Two more things. Commit to the slow process of spiritual formation. Um, one of the things that I've been pondering and thinking on and reading, on, reading about is this idea that God's primary strategy for the renewal of all things begins with you, with your heart and your life. We can and do acknowledge how broken the world is and the injustice that exists around us, um, and we acknowledge that something needs to be done and maybe something can be done by us, but it's on my heart to tell you um, and to tell myself that you are part of what's broken in the world. The selfishness that rears its head inside of you and in me, the tendency towards addiction, betrayal, anger, or apathy, is every bit an injustice that God wants to right, as much as poverty and homelessness and racism and hunger and all the things are wrong and injustices that, that God needs to right, so, so is the brokenness in you. So when I say that my heart is for us to commit to the slow process of spiritual formation, what I mean is that while we sometimes get stuck in the mindset that God is like disappointed that we're broken and wants us to stop being so messed up so that we can get out and fix what's broken in the world for him, he's actually in the process right now already of restoring what's broken in you and in me. We call the process a lot of different things, discipleship, growth, spiritual formation. The idea is that we participate with the thing that God desperately wants to do in our lives, which is to make us more like Jesus. The theologian and author Dallas Willard told people if they wanted to become more like Jesus, they should just get together with a group of people who also want to become more like Jesus and start doing the things that he did. So we put titles on this. We call it spiritual formation. It's just developing rhythms and habits of the things that Jesus did that made him who he was. So things like prayer, silence and solitude, Sabbath rest, reading scripture, fasting, fellowship, and so on. My heart is that as a church, we would lean into this more. We have in seasons, um, and we need, to keep, we need to keep doing that. Last thing that we would lead lives of quiet and invisible lives of evangelism and good works. Right now, there's a really strong pull to do loud and visible good works. We could call it virtue signaling or performative activism or fear of the woke mob and cancel culture, I don't know. Uh, it feels like the world is always asking people in a unhealthy way. Do you care? Do you see how broken the world is? And what are you doing about it? And the world is scrambling, whether individuals or organizations, scrambling to find ways to say, yes, I do care. I see that it's broken, and here's what I'm doing. Um, but I just want to draw your attention to a passage. Um, Jesus told his disciples to not do what Pharisees were doing when they donated money, when they were doing a good deed. Um, they made a huge show of it. They blew trumpets and made it known what they were doing. But Jesus told them in Matthew 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, this is probably part cynicism, part realism, and part like my heart for our church is gonna come out all in a, in a jumbled mess. So you can, you can process it how you will. In my estimation, everyone and their mom is jingling the change in their hand before they put it in the basket and blowing trumpets on social media to announce the good that they're doing. I think churches are doing this. Pastors, church leadership teams, media, like philosophies that churches will have. Um, And maybe they're in a healthy way. They're trying to kind of demonstrate to their church like their their viability and their vitality. Like, look at at all the stuff that we're doing. This is great. It's a great place to be. I understand. but my heart, man, is that we would be a church with the culture of quiet and not intentionally visible good works and evangelism, that our lives individually would be full of moments and habits of love, of care for the poor, acts of justice and mercy, participation with where God is already doing that in your life and in our community, sharing Jesus with people. I'd love for our lives to be full of those moments and moments that will never make it onto a church social media feed or to your own. It won't be announced on a Sunday. It's not gonna be like on the missions page on our church with the organizations that we support, but it will be you saying yes to your heavenly father when he leads you to love and care for one of his children or in some ways for his world. So in other words, if you as a part of Valley Church wait for me to create a way, like an event, a sign up, a trip, for you to do the good in the world that God has for you to do, uh, I think that we will have missed the big picture and you may end up doing nothing. We may well do things as a whole church um, and that's a beautiful thing. But my heart is that we major in the majors and minor in the minors. And I think for us, at least in my heart in this moment, is to major in individual faithfulness, acts of love and justice and mercy that God creates for you to walk in, creates for your family to walk in, for your community, um, things that you can do in, within your family and within your neighborhood, within the places that you work. So those are the five things that are on my heart today and have been for the last season, that we would learn to enjoy relationship with God enjoy relationship with one another, that we would come to view those things as inseparable and also integral to your life, that we would commit to a long and slow process of becoming like Jesus. Um, And finally, that like Paul says, we would seek to live a quiet life. And like Jesus says, that we would give and serve our world in ways that others may not see, but that our Heavenly Father will. Um, As I say those things, if you have ideas, or thoughts about how one of those things or all of them or some of them might um, shape your life or maybe our, our, the life of our church, I would very much like to know. Um, in other words, those are my thoughts. I'm not like um, passing down Valley's vision saying, thus saith the Lord, but maybe those things could become part of the vision that God gives us as a church. And he, he might, um, Give it to you first to share with someone or to share with me. Um, and so on that note, I actually want to end 
Um, I don't know that we've done this before, but you guys will think it's totally fine. Uh, I want to end with a discussion um, that you will have with one another, just those sitting around you. Um, groups of like three or four, um, but don't leave anyone out. If the numbers don't work out, you can do more than that if you have to. But the, questions, uh, the question is this. Which of those five things most interested, uh, intrigued, encouraged you, challenged you, and um, is the Spirit of God stirring something up um, that maybe our church should consider? So I said those five things. Um, Julia, maybe we can like go back and forth every 10 seconds or so or 30 seconds so they can see those five things again. Um, I would just love to know if, as I was saying that, if you're like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool if we did this, this, or that as a church? Or if, if you just feel like this bears on the life of our church at all, I would love to know. And maybe the people around you would love to know. Um, if something sticks, someone take a note on your phone and then you can send it to me after. But that's how we're going to end right now is just turn to those around you and see if the Lord is stirring something up from those five things that we shared. Ready, set, go. Go.